Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Good morning, church. I'm really grateful to be with you all and to open up God's word today and to hear from God himself today. Um, we are now full swing into the Christmas season. I was just having a conversation with some people before we started that whether we like it or not, we're there. We're in the thick of it. We're in the midst of the madness, the chaos. We are in the midst of what is interesting and strange. We are in the midst of the biggest, arguably, Christian holiday of the year, which is likewise also the biggest secular holiday of the year. Isn't that interesting to think about that, that the, the Christian holiday that we celebrate of the advent of the arrival of light breaking into darkness, from a cultural perspective, that also is the biggest time of celebration in the year. But today, I don't want to bash culture. I don't want to say, oh, we need, to, we need to be singing more about joy to the world than about Rudolph. No, that's not what we're going to talk about today. Today, we actually want to talk about how Christmas in its, in its emphasis on core truths of the gospel, actually is doing the opposite of what the cultural holiday is telling us. Often we are wrapped up into the sentiment and the happiness and all the joy and the families coming together. And it, that's amazing, and we want to celebrate that. But the reality is that Christmas actually exposes us. Christmas is actually incredibly unsentimental if you really begin to look at what it is about. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. If you want to turn there in your Bible. And again, I want to emphasize that the problem is not that we need to reclaim Christian and, oh, all these pagans are, I mean, people don't even say Merry Christmas anymore. They say Happy Holidays. That's not the real problem. That's not the real problem. Uh, the problem is not that Rudolph is being sung more than joy to the world. The problem is that we ourselves get wrapped up in this false sentimentality, and we think that is what Christmas is. But what I want us to see today is that if we miss the deeply offensive and threatening reality of what Christmas is about, if we don't understand that and do business with that, then we have no understanding of what Christmas and Jesus coming and the light breaking in is actually all about. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to start reading for us in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us is a son given, 
the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray, and we're going to jump into this. God, we do ask this morning that your word would be what we hear today. I ask, God, that as we look at this scripture, as we seek to have our own hearts examined by you, Spirit of God, that we would find healing, that we would receive illumination, that you, Jesus, would be the one who is showing up to teach us today. I ask for help, God, even as you have already granted me a lot of help and study prep this week. I ask God now that for my friends, my brothers and sisters here, that you, Spirit, would be the one who engages us in your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you see in the passage, there is a darkness that the people of God at the time were dwelling in. And what's interesting is we also often find ourselves in darkness But what is Christmas known for? It's known for lights. It's known for lights. If, I mean, there's some of us, you know, those people who it's like, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, you start putting some lights up, like, okay, there's there's that, the lights begin. But now, the lights are everywhere. It's almost like you know it's getting closer because the lights are getting more and more prevalent. And lights... This is kind of a no-duh, but I want you to just think about this. Lights are symbolic. The very fact that we need light shows that there's darkness all around us. Even now as we're in kind of the depths of winter, it's dark at like, feels like 3.30 in the afternoon now. It's dark all of the time. But if this dark, if this light is symbolic, then that means that there's actually a darkness that we are in. It's not just a physical darkness and the sense of the seasons changing. So let's talk about this darkness and the darkness of the world. At the very essence of the Christian faith is this claim that the world is dark. And I don't just mean the darkness of people far from God. I mean darkness even for us who claim to be followers of Jesus, who are followers of Jesus, there is still darkness all around us. Have you ever walked through a dark, painful season of life where you could almost feel how heavy and dark life felt? The darkness of our fears, the darkness of longing, the darkness of sin in our own life, the darkness of hatred, the darkness because of lack that you feel. And interestingly enough, if you are honest with yourself or maybe you have friends who are like this, this time of year for many people is the hardest time of year. This time of joy and Advent and Christmas, for a lot of people, they would just say, yeah, that that time of year kind of sucks for me. There's a lot of different reasons for that. This week, I, this week, the last couple of weeks, I've had lots of friends talking to me about why is this time of year so hard? 
It's just so dark. God, when are you going to break in? God, when are you going to change things? God, why do things have to be so bad right now? In this dark time, we all are being made to ask, how long? Lord, how long will the darkness last? Again, we're in this season of Advent, and we're in this season of the light coming. But the light coming in doesn't really make sense unless we do business and are honest about how hard the darkness actually really is. Yeah, the arrival of the lights is often what we feel is the goal of like all the Hallmark movies. But often we're not really doing business with where we really are. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 13. And I want you to think about this psalm in relation to Advent. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This is the psalmist talking to God. How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be ruling, triumphing, exulting over me? God, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have conquered over him. Lest my foes, my enemies rejoice because I am shaken. Doesn't quite sound like an Advent psalm. It is, though. Can any of you relate to the psalmist in Psalm 13 of how long, O Lord? If you don't rescue me soon, I might actually die, or at least I feel like I'm going to die. For the people of God in Isaiah's time, when Isaiah was writing about this light breaking in, it was dark because God had been silent. It was dark because God's people were suffering the consequences of sin, Look at verse 2. It says they were a people dwelling in a land of darkness. Think about all the movies and references and like the land that is dark is the place you don't want to be. And the people of God are dwelling there. Their hope had been that the promised line of David was going to rescue them, was going to restore the kingdom. And now hope is gone. Do any of you feel like that in your life? That God is silent. That God is maybe even allowing you to suffer because of things you've done. How often do you think, God's just punishing me for this? How often do you think, man, life used to be so good. What happened? All the normal comforts are just gone. It just feels like it's dark. Even for people who would reject Christianity or who don't claim to follow Jesus, these same questions apply in this dark season where we are being made to ask, why is it like this? So then, we all can admit, yes, there is a darkness that we all feel, experience, we see it. Well, then what do we do with the darkness? How do we deal with the darkness? How do we fix it? Well, it'd be very easy to say, well, Jesus comes, right? He does. We're going to get there. But let's be honest with ourselves. What do we do 
with this darkness. Well, gosh darn it, we're Americans. We solve, we fix, we build, we come together in the darkness, and we say it's really dark, but we can overcome, right? That's what we do. We dig deep, and we say, well, we have people who can fix these problems. We have experts. We have professionals. They can fix the problems. We both individually in our own lives, but then also with the groups that we associate with, we fix the darkness. I've got a picture of some ways that we fix the darkness. Can we get that picture up there? It's kind of a collage of pictures. This is how we fix the darkness. And I'm not bashing these people, by the way. I'm saying this is what we do to fix our darkness. We have our experts, our mystics, our scholars. We have our new diet plans that offer us a perfect life. I've been there. We have our favorite Instagrammers, our favorite podcasters. Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan offer a lot of people a way out of their darkness. And again, I'm not bashing these people. But we go to these experts. We go to our favorite news sources. We go to, because this is what's going to fix it, right? This is what will change the country. This is what will change your own life. We will overcome. And again, I, I would really encourage, even in my own life, I was thinking of all the other people out there. Oh my gosh, those people, oh, they clearly think that's going to rescue them. Oh, those people, oh, they watch that news channel. Oh, I know exactly what they're thinking. It's going to rescue them. Don't do that right now. Where in your own life, what are you looking to to rescue you? What are you looking to to give you joy? What are you looking to to say, ah, oh, this will help me get better? Think about yourself. And if you don't know, just look at your checkbook. And there you'll see the story that you're trying to probably be rescued from. All of these and more are offering us a story, a narrative, a version of how the light can be found and can come in and change us. Some people look to the state. The government can do it. Some people look to the market. We all, in different ways, we think technology will rescue us, will bring some kind of way that we can overcome. The New York Times sum this up very well in the sense that, well, it's dark. Here's what Christmas offers us. The meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and we will all be able to put together a world of unity and peace. I mean, kind of sounds good, right? Almost, almost sounds Christian, you could say, right? It's dark, but we can work together and overcome, right? You know, there's poverty, injustice, violence, evil, but we can create this world of unity and peace. How often do we hear this type of rallying cry from churches, from nonprofits, from groups that we love and associate with, that if we work together, we can overcome? And friends, if I'm honest with you, that sounds so good. I love the thought of it being true. I love how that collage of people that I showed is genuinely trying to do good for people. They're genuinely trying to help people. But all of that is deeply betraying us because it exposes the fact 
that we think we can save ourselves. We really do believe that through unity, through intellect, through technology, through government, through American resilience, we can build, grow, and we can transform the darkness. But friends, the message of Christmas is the antithesis of this. The message of Christmas is the exact opposite of that. The message of Christmas is that the darkness is so dark, is so entrenched in every part of our world that light from outside had to break in. A force from outside of our existence had to come in and take on flesh like us. The light that was so different from us had to become part of us in order to show us and convince us that all of our self-salvation efforts are actually just indicting us even more. So if the message of Christmas is not about overcoming through human achievement, then what is the real message of Christmas about? Christmas, in essence, is about the confrontational and threatening and offensive reality that in yourself, you are hopeless. Left to yourself, you are hopeless. Without someone breaking in, even without your permission, you are hopeless. How's that for a holiday greeting card? Merry Christmas. I'm hopeless on my own. The real message of Christmas is this unsentimental reality <laughs> that we can't make the world a better place by our own efforts. But why is there hope? Because a light has broken in. Go back to Isaiah 9. I want you to look at that text. He's using light as this symbol. Light as something that reveals. Light illuminates. Light doesn't lie. Light shows what is really happening. And how has the light broken in? This light that's offering hope, how has it broken in? What is the cosmic way that the light has said, I'm going to come in and change the darkness? Through a baby being born. Wait, what? Through a human who will save humans. What? But what is this human to be like? We'll look at what the text says. This person will be given the names that are exclusively reserved for God alone. That's interesting. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is saying that the one who will be born will bring light, and he himself will have the very names of God. This is saying that God, the creator, becomes one of his creatures. But what will he accomplish by doing that? Again, look at the names. He will be one who counsels. Have you ever been to a counselor? If you have a really good counselor who can relate to you really well, who can understand what you are like and what you need and what is actually wrong, that's, can't put a price on that. That's what God is. 
the one who counsels. He will be the mighty God, the one who can actually come and overcome the darkness. Says he will be the Father, the one who brings peace. So what Isaiah is saying is that the one who will be born will accomplish all that we ourselves are trying to do on our own. He himself will do. And that's why what's so interesting about the reality of Jesus coming as a man is that we say we celebrate Jesus. Oh, we celebrate Jesus at this time. Well, that can be blunt. You don't celebrate Jesus. You either trust him or you reject him. Those are the options. You either continue to believe in yourself and your own efforts or you actually realize God has done the work in Jesus. And this ultimately, even in this Christmas season, as I said, we're exploring these core truths of the gospel. This is what makes Christianity so unique. And this is highlighted in what we're looking at in Christmas. So for those of us here who maybe you're newer to Christianity, or maybe you don't really understand Christianity, or maybe you flat out say, I don't want any part of Christianity. I would ask you to consider this point of the uniqueness of Jesus amongst all other world religions. The uniqueness of Jesus. Listen to what one of our favorite theologians here, Tim Keller, writes. There's no other religion that says God has suffered, that God had to be courageous, that God knows what it is in life to be abandoned by friends, to be crushed by injustice, to be tortured and die. Christmas shows he knows what you and I are going through and that when you talk to him, he understands. This is that counselor. This is that mighty God. This is that prince of peace breaking into our darkness. Friends, Christmas is about showing us Jesus. Jesus is not someone to be celebrated for how cute he is in a manger. Jesus is to be trusted because he has proven his commitment to you. Christmas shows us the beauty of Jesus, the one who was the truest of kings, who entered our darkness and sat in it until it killed him so that we could be set free from darkness. And when you hear us, if you, Scott always says this, if you stick around redemption for more than six minutes, you're going to hear this. We always talk about the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. You might be like, wait a minute, like what? Like he's beautiful? Like, wait, what is this? Something that's beautiful is not a duty. Something that is truly beautiful is not a duty to look at, to love, to observe, to follow. Something that's beautiful is satisfying in and of itself. So when we say Jesus is beautiful, it's because we're seeing how deeply satisfying he is. That he is so satisfying, so strong, so able, so full of love for us. That's not a duty to follow him. Because the way that we see Jesus as beautiful is even more so highlighted when all other things that draw and attract us, we see how deeply unsatisfying they are compared to the satisfaction in Jesus. So, In this Christmas season, as we're seeing the darkness, as we're experiencing the darkness, as we're being honest with ourselves in the way that we try to overcome the darkness, but that we're seeing how Jesus is the light, how do we 
partake of this light. I want you to think about that. How do we then receive and partake in this light? Well, we already know. Okay, clearly, Nate, you bashed all of us. It's not going to be through us. It will not be through human cunning. It will not be through our ingenuity. It will not be through our own intrinsic false sense of goodness. It won't be through just be positive and keep plugging along. It will not be through that. No, we partake in the light when we realize it can only be received. That's what grace is. You bring nothing to the table, yet completely receive. This is completely alien to everything in our world. Nothing in this life works like that. You partake in the light when you realize it cannot be earned. It cannot be worked for. It is not transactional. There is no exchange system with God. God, I'm doing my best. God, I'm trying really good. If I were to ask you, why are you a believer? And you said, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying really hard and, you know, I just keep plugging along and God knows I'm doing my part. I would have to say to you, friend, you do not know the gospel. The gospel is not that I am trying hard, that I'm plugging along, that I'm, oh, well, you know, I've made some mistakes, but God knows my heart. He does know your heart and it's super jacked up. That's why you need someone on your behalf to come in and rescue you. The gospel is that he is enough and I'm in him. That's the gospel. This is what Isaiah is hitting on. Look at verse five. You might think we skipped over it. We're coming back to it. Verse five, it speaks of the tools and weapons of warfare. Tools for overcoming in battle. And what does it say about these weapons of warfare? These weapons of accomplishment, what does it say? They're all going to be burned up. The weapons of warfare that we accomplish and fight with are not needed. This is saying that the victory will not demand your strength because someone else will do the fighting. The very things that we think we so desperately need to be okay are all burned up. Because friends, the essence of the gospel is that someone else has not just broken in through the light, but he has done the fighting on your behalf. So how do we partake in this light? We become partakers of this light by realizing, learning to believe, learning to increasingly let go of our efforts and trusting that Jesus has and is doing the work, even, even when you can't see it. Even when you are in a season of darkness like I described, where you have no idea which way is up and which way is down. He's coming to you in that darkness. And he's actually already walked through a darkness even deeper than that on your behalf so that now he can meet you in your darkness. So where in your own life right now, I would encourage you to think about this, Maybe write it down or jot it in your phone. Where do you need the light of Jesus right now in this season? Where are you looking for solutions for your darkness? Where can you repent and turn from those things? And what's crazy is that Jesus actually shows us his light and then fills us with his spirit. And then he says, 
and now I'm sending you to be a partner with me, to be a participant with me in the life of God. So who is Jesus sending you to right now? Who are the friends, those in your circles, in your cubicles, in your office, in your classrooms, who see are living in darkness? How can you start by actually just praying for them and then realizing that the Spirit is equipping you to send you to them? The band can, the band can come up. We're going to go to a closing song now, but I just want to close before we do some singing and communion by saying that the only way we receive the true light of Christmas is when we realize that we just receive it. We don't add, we don't do anything on our own, but we needed this baby to come, to come and to be our king because it was impossible for us to be rescued in any other way. So let's pray, and then we'll go into communion. Jesus, we do thank you for your beauty, we do thank you for who you are, Jesus, in your life as we look back to your arrival, to you breaking into our darkness, as we are now living in between the two advents of your first arrival and your second arrival. Jesus, we do ask that you would fill us with hope in this in-between, that you would meet us with incredible endurance. I pray, Jesus, for people here in this room whose Hearts maybe are dark. The darkness of rejection of you, Jesus. The darkness of not able to see you right now, Jesus. Jesus, only you by your spirit can break in. Nothing I can say can convince anyone apart from you, spirit, doing the work of changing hearts. So God, I pray for every man, woman, and child in this space right now, Jesus, that we would encounter you that we would see how your love is so deeply satisfying, how we would see the fact that you, Jesus, had to come in human skin, flesh, bones, blood, muscle. You had to come and actually be courageous and face death because of how deeply you loved us. Jesus, you had to live in this flesh and blood existence and that now in your overcoming body, the fact that death could not hold you down, you now are reigning over us. Jesus, would we see that and would that change our hearts? Would we see that and would that give us endurance? Would we see that and it gives us repentance? Would we see you, Jesus, in your beauty? And would you help us to see that you've already come the darkness, that you're going to meet us right now in our present darkness. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.